and I started reading this book called um, Pumpkin Plan. And one of the things that it tells me is that find out where your passion was. What mm-hmm. was what was it that you enjoyed doing? Obviously. So when I when I did that, um, it just really started to flourish from there. Investor Network Podcast, hashtag the network. This is episode 12, brought to you by Michigan Investment Title. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Michigan Real Estate Investor Network Podcast, hashtag the network. My name is Blair Clark, and I am sitting here today with the CPA, Frank Alcini, Alcini, <laughs> and then we have investor extraordinaire, Mr. Paul Beats, wow. and then the, the contractor special to my left, Mr. Shelby Hunter. Hello, everyone. How are you? How's it going? We're doing good. We are doing good. Um, So what I did is I asked everyone in the group if they had specific questions that they would like to ask each of you today. So we actually had um, some questions come in. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. So this is going to be kind of a Q&A. So we asked the group, what do you want to know? And the inquiring minds said the following. So I'm going to kick things off with Frank. Um, Hi, Frank. How are you? And so one of the questions um, that was asked was a bit of an entry-level question. Um, The first one is about entities. So what would be the best entity for the three main types of real estate investing, in your opinion? Um, And then lean lean right into the microphone. Okay. So I I get that one a lot uh, from the tax standpoint. I hear it a lot uh, from a legal standpoint. I'm not an attorney. We have an attorney in the group. But really, it's a legal and a tax question, but also really depends on what the individual wants to do. So I think within our group, we have a lot of investors, flippers, wholesalers. We have people doing a lot of different things where really the best entity is going to really maximize the tax advantages while protecting yourself on the asset side without creating unnecessary work. Uh, Sometimes I hear some of the gurus say you needed two LLCs and an S corp Mm -hmm. or some magic recipe. It's really dependent on everybody. Um, And usually I like to sit down with an investor, see, are they married? Do they have kids? Do they have families? As they enter down the real estate realm, it really gets more complex. Um, on a high level, a buy and hold type entity is going to be in an LLC generally for the best tax advantages. Uh, but then there's record keeping requirements. And then within, if it's a buy and hold single unit, you run into the uh, tenant issues in the courts where uh, individually versus LLC, and it all depends how big you want to grow and how think, how you want to complicate mm-hmm. things. It, um, so with everything, there's not necessarily a cut and dry, right and wrong. It's a lot just, of variables. Exactly. Yeah. So um, more on the other side, depending on dollar amounts, if someone's a flipper or a wholesaler, maybe an S corporation makes more sense to reduce the self-employment tax and some strategies there. 
all depending on what type of dollars we're talking. If someone's going to make 20000 or 300000 it's going to mm-hmm. make a difference. So um, it's a little more complex and really, I think everyone at this table, it would apply differently. But Yeah, probably. So, <laughs> so the best answer is to just sit down, reach sit out down to you, explain end. everyone's individual yes. situation. Um, awesome. So another another question that falls under that is um, a question about uh, DBAs doing business as. So if someone just decided to name their company, um, say they had an LLC and they just have like a generic LLC name, you know what I mean? Like um, Investor Network LLC. But then as they do things, they decide they want to dial it in and they just want to focus on one specific strategy. So then they want to just dub their company something like the happy wholesaler. Um, how can they do that with a DBA rather than like take out another LLC? So uh, generally within uh, the state of Michigan, there's they would have the opportunity to file for an assumed name and operate under that. Uh, under that premise, they'd be able to have XYZ company and then now they have their garage door division and maybe their window company. Mm-hmm. And many people are venturing into new territories where that DBA would help them just establish themselves. If it becomes a viable operation, it might be worth spinning that off or setting up a new company and structuring it. But if we're talking, someone's going to do a small amount of revenue or start to grow it, that DBA might help them establish that name and see if Mm -hmm. there's really that presence. But it's really straightforward process, uh, uh, filing paperwork with the state so that you can operate that depending on localities, sometimes uh, counties and situations have different situations. But with, let's say it's an LLC with a new DBA, it doesn't create a new tax entity. So Mm -hmm. you're still taxed under however you are. So if you're buying hold entity, you wanted to start wholesaling and flipping, it might be worth setting up a new entity as opposed to just mixing them all within that same business. Gotcha. Awesome. Great answer. Um, So Paul... Word on the street is your beats are pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I've heard. That's what we heard. <laughs> and then also we've heard that you have a regular W-2 job yes. um, that is your bread and butter right now. Um, and so one of the questions that came up was uh, since you have a job and and it's just, you know, perception, but it seems like it's a decent job. Um, you had to go and you have to go to university for it yeah, to get. To I get have a, a bachelor's degree. and master's degree. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're an engineer. I am an engineer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of people's mind, they would think like, wow, you're an engineer. That's a really great job. What would cause you to then um, launch into real estate investing? So the question was, what was like, what was like the impetus? Like what was the, um, the inspiration, the starting point where you were just like, I don't actually want to do my engineering career till I retire, I want to get into real estate. Yeah. So I don't know if it was really real estate that, that spawned this off initially. Um, but, uh, I worked down in Georgia for Panasonic automotive and, um, you know, the automotive industry, especially engineering is extremely, uh, challenging. It, it, it requires a lot of time. Uh, and I think down in Georgia, um, when my, my, uh, wife was in uh, labor with my my second child uh, my son and I was over in the corner um, on a conference call with executives from Chrysler okay and I, I would have been so mad at you by the way um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure she was not super thrilled with me as well okay. um, 
and she's nodding her head. Uh, but I, it was, I, I got off that conference call and I kind of sat there and thought to myself, you know, my daughter was what, 14 months, 14 months old at the time. And I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, I've not really spent a lot of time with my daughter during those 14 months. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't want that to be the same case for my son and for the rest of my daughter's life. Yeah. And so really for me, in my mind, that was the, the turning point where I was like, this is not going to work, right? This long term, this isn't going to work. And uh, it wasn't until I, um, you know, I, there's a long story of how I found real estate. But in my mind, I was thinking to myself, I need to find a different way forward. Um, and so I ended up leaving Panasonic. We moved up here to Michigan. General Motors, I work for General Motors. They're a great company to work for. Um, my, I have a lot better work-life balance in the job that I'm in, but it's still, um, there's a, it's a lot of work. And um, so what I want to get to is I want to get passive income. Mm-hmm. It's uh, going to allow me to spend a lot more time with my family, run my own business. Uh, there's a huge tax advantages, um, you know, Frank will tell you that, you know, the tax code is written for real estate investors. Um, and I've heard oil men too, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, there's huge tax advantages to it. And, um, you know, so it allows me to live the life that I want to live rather yeah. than, you know, being, uh, tied down to, you know, three or four weeks of vacation a year. Mm-hmm. My wife's a lot younger than I am. And so she wants to see a lot of the world. And the thing that's holding us back is, um, my job and, you know, um, the capital to travel. Mm-hmm. So, um, we want to, we don't have a chance to do that. Yeah. That's like just a really, that was a really good visualization. Like I can see you in the hospital room on a conference call, just being like, yep. what am I doing right now? Where are my priorities? I'm yep. on a conference call and a child's about to come into the world. Um, and I was just kidding, by the way, saying that I'd be mad at you. Um, but no, I would have oh, been. She really was. <laughs> no, I, I totally would have been. But um, so, did you get any like backlash when you when you decided um, speaking to family members or things like that, or maybe even your parents? Like when when you said, you know, I think I'm going to leave my really solid on paper. This is a really good, you know, like the American way decision, um, and I'm going to go into something that a lot of people perceive to be. Um, unstable a lot that's that's what i've heard from a lot of people is they still perceive the real estate market to be unstable and i don't know if it's due to the crash that that we had 10 years ago or if it's just that's their mindset in general yeah so you know um most everybody that knows me very well knows that when i get something in my mind i i don't give up Mm -hmm. um i'm pretty stubborn from that perspective but i'm also somewhat cautious when i say i I don't i rarely leap before i look um so i really get that vibe from you yeah i really Mm -hmm. dived deep into training and education to Uh understand what i was getting myself into but you know i'm chasing after it um hardcore and i i rarely allow people who are naysayers to corrupt my my mind about Mm -hmm. things um and if they are really that loud, um, I just cut them out of my life. I, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, I just don't need the negativity in my life. I've decided to do this. And, you know, there's a good possibility that I'll fail along the way. Sure. And those naysayers, they're standing on the sidelines waiting for me to fail. Mm-hmm. And I just don't need them there. Um, so actually, you know, I've got a really good friend. Um, he and I grew up together. And I'm fairly confident that he strongly disagrees with uh, the way I manage my money and the investments that I'm making. 
and uh, and I don't speak. Uh, yeah, and it's oh, it's sad. Yeah, yeah, well, but like I said, um, this is about me and my family, mm-hmm. and um, my wife is is very supportive, and uh, you know she's actually very involved as well. Um, so uh, you know, I, I don't need the negativity in my life. Yeah. Um, we've made a decision how we want to proceed. Um, and all indications are, you know, the people that I talk to, I have a great CPA that I work with. Um, I've got a, a, a great team in Indianapolis that I work with and I, I surround my, myself with, you know, people that's why I'm here, um, that are in the business. They understand the value of real estate and they're encouraging on my path. And that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, when I fail, I'm going to need, you know, that support system. Yeah. And I think that that's very important too. Um, you know, you've got to really protect your mindset, mm-hmm. uh, when it's, when, you know what I mean? You're, you're tackling something like that, something that's a little bit out of the norm. And as you get into deeper into real estate investing, you realize how stable it really is and how normal it actually is. And then really anybody who is a homeowner is a real estate investor. You've invested in at least a property, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I just think that's really, really important. Um, and even if you don't have the ability to drastically cut somebody out of your life, just stop sharing your dream with them. Mm-hmm. Maybe just talk about something else. Um, which is kind of a hard lesson that I had to learn at first. I just wanted to share this awesome idea with everybody. And I was just getting like hacked and slashed. And I just realized like, I really don't need to be dependent on anybody else's validation yep. other than maybe like my husband, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my parents, so they're on board and that's really like the only support team. Yeah. The people, the mm-hmm. people's opinions that I really respect are the ones that are in the business. So yes. if tall Nate came to me and said, Hey Paul, you really ought to look at this. You know, I'm going to say, okay, this guy knows what he's yeah. doing. Right. Yeah. But if I have somebody that comes to me and says, you know what, this is what I've heard. And, uh, yes. you know, I know so-and-so, that they they got taken to the cleaners with by tenants. Mm-hmm. Well, what real estate investing have you done, right? Yeah. Um, so I really respect people that are in the business that are doing it, especially the ones that are killing it, like Tall Nate, man. He's mm-hmm. he's killing it, and um, you know uh, I have a lot of respect for him. So um, those are the people that I want to surround myself with, and and you know if he had a piece of advice and he said, hey, you really ought to look at this or you know uh, watch out for this, that's worth gold to me. Yeah. You really got to ask yourself like the simple thing of who do you listen to? You know what I mean? And not necessarily just converse with, but like whose um, information are you actually absorbing? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Into, into your own like practices and philosophies. And it's the people who are out there doing what it is that you aspire to do. But also, you know, you got to look at like their background too. Like did this person come from a similar place that I'm coming from. You know what I mean? If you aspire to be a millionaire, you want to follow the person who became a millionaire, um, doing the same things that you're aspiring to do, not somebody who's, you know, maybe their, their parent handed them a million dollars and now they're a millionaire because Mm -hmm. you can't follow that path. You know what I mean? So that's, that's good. That's solid. Um, so Shelby, I want to ask you a similar question about like, how did you get started? So, um, so you, I, I think you are the first contractor that we are interviewing, I think. Congratulations. Yes. Welcome to the team. I broke a record. Yes. yes. Right on. So I I personally know your story. So just full disclosure, Shelby's wife is my best friend, and I've known him <laughs> for a long time. No, she's my best friend. My best friend. 
That's true. no. Well, I I, I I saw her first, um, but, which is the truth. But uh, I just want to know. Like, I want to hear. I just want to hear a brief. You have you have kind of a wild uh, story as to how you got into demolition contracting for yourself. So if you can just kind of like pare that down and, you know, give us the Cliff Notes version of it. How did you get into demolition contracting uh, for your own established business? Wow. Okay. Um, I, I, I guess I could start off with like where the passion really started to, uh, to grow. Okay. Um, so I worked for a company for about five years. And prior to, I had already done some some construction and all this other stuff and whatever but this company that i worked for for about five years phenomenal company um it was it was a great atmosphere that that they had um offered um it was an opportunity for me to further my understanding of how to be the the type of person that uh they wanted me to be um and and most importantly it was it was based off family Mm -hmm. and and which is something that i really like honed in on and so what happened was we would just literally go out and work. We would get there in the morning and we would, you know, have the game plan. This is where we're going, wherever it would be, whatever we had to do, you know, everything that we needed. And it would be typically with a team of four or it could be two, depending on the job and depending on the agenda that needed to happen. Um, And so what happened was, you know, working with these guys, uh, it really allowed me to, to just, work um i I grew up in a lifestyle that i was just made to be a workhorse and so being around these guys man just really it started to build a fire for me to just like man i could see myself doing this but not working for somebody yeah um this this is like i guess you could say the birth of my entrepreneurial you know path as they were talking about the last show or whatever um you know, that that is something that I just really started to just pay attention to details with. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I did was I, I began to learn, you know, the work process and then started to learn, you know, pick up the little nuggets of how to how the business is running. And one of the things that I that I learned in that passion growth was communicating. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're communicating and you got the work aspects of it, this can go sky's the limit. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so uh, you know, I ended up going a different route and I ended up working for the state of Michigan for a little bit of time. And after that, it just it just kind of went down down spiral for me because um, I had gotten into an accident. What did you do for the state of Michigan? I was a pre- uh, corrections officer uh, for the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed doing it because I'm aggressive. Uh, I have a uh, high headed times, but over the years I've calmed down. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the the thing that I loved about it, it the training, it taught me how to be disciplined. Yeah, it taught me how to be structured, uh, and it taught me how to feed that work mindset into a business. Um, and so what happened? Well, at that point is I ended up getting into into a bad car accident, which resulted in me having a dislocated hip and my uh, shattered socket and my sciatic nerve got caught in between that, which resulted I had dropped foot. Mm-hmm. So I ended up with uh, nine screws and three pins. Um, and that just kind of took my physical abilities out of the game because I wasn't able to uh, do the type of work that I wanted to do at that point. And so everything shifted for me at that point. Um, I came, you know, I'm, I'm a very strong person in my faith, a full-time pastor and, and uh, have four children, beautiful wife, your best friend. Uh, strong support system, and it was just kind of direction. Where am I going at this point? And yeah. so that's where the 
the business perspective came in. And then I started reading this book called um, Pumpkin Plan. And one of the things that it tells me is that find out where your passion was. What, mm-hmm. was, what was it that you enjoyed doing? Obviously. So when I, when I did that, um, it just really started to flourish from there. And so, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the, I guess you could say the short side of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a condensed version of it for sure. I think that that's um, a life changing moments are really what kind of push you into doing, you know, yeah. a life changing thing. Um, and uh, I've read that, that book as well, the pumpkin plan. And so in, in my like, um, just personal education, like post, uh, formal education. So going through, uh, school K-12 and then going into college, one of the things that I just recognized, um, about education is it doesn't really give you like real, it doesn't, it doesn't give you real world application Mm. and it doesn't really teach you how to, um, just to, to be an entrepreneur. And I know that growing up, like entrepreneurship wasn't even a term that I had even, I even had like an awareness of. Um, and just, I don't remember at any point in my K-12 education or university education, just ever like stopping and self-reflecting and asking myself, like, what are my strengths? What do I even like? Where am I even at? You know what I mean? Like in the world, what resources do I have? Um, it, it, so, you know, you really just have to like stop and ask yourself, you know, what is it that I even like to do? And then how can I dial that in and like, you know, leverage my own strengths? Um, so yeah, that's, that's just one of the things that you learn when you, you launch out and you become an entrepreneur for yourself. For sure. I think a lot of that's a good point. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking about college and everyone just says, here's the path you're supposed to go and you get a, and then you get a job and retire and, everybody's just kind of slowly dying in that mentality. And I think sparking that vision and different things. Yeah. It's definitely, it it, it is, it's a, it's a, uh, um, different path. I'm gonna keep saying that because the, uh, what was his name? Dan, Dan, him Mm -hmm. saying that really sparked something, uh, with that word path. And it's like, it's a different path when you're walking down something without a, you know, ending process. You don't know how this is going to go, but, whatever i'm gonna take the chance you know what i'm saying not many people do that because of the the barriers that are in front of you with that so mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't care about school i didn't do any of that stuff i mean I, I went to school for a period of time and played ball and all this other stuff but that wasn't me and so just years down working communication building relationship that's what's opening the door so it's like how do you do that you know yeah. And like I said on the, the last show, that's what's so fantastic about this network is we're all kind of just um, I don't want to I don't want to use the word fumbling our way through this because that's that's not what we're doing at all. But like we're all figuring it out kind of like together. And so this is just a place where we can collectively come together. And there are people who are just on a plane, like so much higher above than what we are. And then there are people who are like just getting into it Um you know, and then, you know, I don't know about, you know, Frank's level of experience, but I would say that the three of us, we're kind of like mid-tier, you know what I mean? We've got our hands dirty, we're in it, we're actually making things happen, but we, you know what I mean, are not experts by any means. Um, So we all have a lot to share. Um, The love, I've heard, is what it is that we're supposed to share. But um, 
Yeah. And that's, and that's what's just so fantastic. And what was so great about people um, posting their questions into the group is um, that we can just all share our information. So one of the questions, Frank, back to you that was asked, um, kind of these two questions kind of like blend together. Um, what are the tax benefits? And again, I don't know if this is a question that's just dependent on someone's independent, you know, individualized situation. But we got a question of what are the tax benefits to owning rental property? Um, and then how does income from rental versus flipping uh, differ? Okay. So um, income from flipping, if assuming somebody's active is going to be more of their normal business, something similar that you you could go hire somebody to do similar to a job and investing in uh, rental activity is as Paul mentioned passive income so if somebody for instance invests into a deal that you have that's just going to be passive income or loss and hopefully it cash flows or maybe kicks out some tax losses but just being a passive investor you're going to be limited to the passive rules which effectively you won't get any tax benefit but hopefully you can get positive cash flow and maybe net to zero on taxes mm -hmm. okay but now from a flipper uh, standpoint generally they're going to have ordinary income and then that's where saying how they structure it whether it's self subject all subject to self-employment or subject to wages there's some opportunities there but now some of the tax advantages from a buy and hold standpoint it would be it really depends what someone's planning to do if i'm gonna buy and hold something and i'm selling it in five years and gonna cash out there it's you're gonna ultimately defer some of your gains but i think is what people do some people get into this and maybe have some short-term sites next thing you know they're good at it buy another deal next thing you know they own many deals and then it really opens up as paul said is once he quits his W-2 job, becomes a full-time real estate investor and uh, what the IRS calls um, under Section 469 of the Internal Revenue Code, if you want to read it, it's uh, <laughs> real <not>. exciting. <laughs> uh, there's certain requirements, but once you meet those limits, mm -hmm. you'd start to really open up being able to deduct those benefits uh, against other income that you may have. Mm -hmm. And then really the longer-term strategy is you can defer gains if you were to sell, let's say, three single-family deals into one multifamily apartment. You can do a 1031 exchange. Then you could potentially exit out of that apartment deal into a commercial property and buy and, buy and hold and flip these properties and really never pay taxes until you cash out of the deal at the end. And I always hear people saying, retiring, well, once I get into this passive income you could potentially hold this real estate till the day you die and ultimately escape all the taxes mm -hmm. so that's really the beauty of those situations and you don't have to hold that single family at xyz township it could be exchanged many times in other deals or as you want to take on partners there's ways to take on partners maybe get some cash and you can defer some of those taxes there as you be decide I want to scale back and retire and mm -hmm. exit out of this deal. So there's a lot of tax advantages there. 
on the oil side. I'm not real familiar with that, <laughs> but uh, definitely on the real estate side. Uh, right now, we have a real estate friendly government in place, and some of the advantages we're going to go away and then at the last minute slip back in. So I don't really see too much changing mm -hmm. uh, on the forefront. So, how much time do you spend brushing up on all of this knowledge? that you just regurgitated out to me like mm -hmm. that just seemed that's like <laughs> so if you so my own personal question if you are someone like me and you just want to do the work um and you you can't possibly contain all of this stuff you know in in your own head um should we be reaching out to you prior to launching into something to see whether whether it works for us or not like um like for example, someone doesn't doesn't realize that if they they buy and sell a house within a certain time frame, they're going to be penalized on it or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, so instead of just launching out into anything, um, how I guess how often do people just call you before they even get into a deal to say like you know Frank, should I should I do A or should I do B? You know? Um, I tried. Red pill, blue pill. More savvier clients, I guess, do. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times, someone I heard this on Facebook or a friend told me that, really stay away from that. At least call me, take me out to lunch. We can sit and talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's somebody starting out, what do I do? Let's, if someone's buying one house, we can maybe talk a little bit. Mm -hmm. And do they need all this guidance? Not necessarily, but when they're 10 houses in, able to just know, pick up the phone, now I need to call or whatever that mm -hmm. may be, or I'm looking at selling it, are they going to be able to exchange it because they can't just sell it and you have to use third-party companies and there's different rules, but knowing at least when to pick up the phone is the biggest thing mm -hmm. versus coming to see me now and tell me everything you did last year. There's not yeah. really much that I can do at this point except balance some numbers. And that's kind of the boring part. Um, right now, I can work with you on 2019 and guide you or at least help you. And maybe that puts in your mind to call mm -hmm. me in August when something happens. But. Yeah, because that seems to be the thing is, um, so like I, I shared with you when we were on the phone, one of my aunts is a CPA and I just remember like a complaint being, you know, people trying to like retroactively do things and you just, you can't, like you have to understand that like you need the advice up front before you do something and, you know, like I can't actually go back and change the decisions that somebody had made, you know, for someone who's disappointed that there were actually, uh, you know, th that there, there weren't, um, that there were repercussions, I guess, as far as taxes go for the things that they do. And so that's just kind of like what's in my mind when I'm looking at doing something is just like, you know, when I sit down with my accountant at the end of the year, she's going to be like, Ooh, you really shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. And I'm just like, I, I just, I don't even know. I just was executing, you know? Oh yeah. And a lot of times I think people do and throwing out that advice that, you should have done done it is still not necessarily critical, but I try to tell clients because on the next one you have mm -hmm. now call, we can't really do anything, but I know yeah. some other practitioners just punch the numbers in, send it out to you, and that's it, where at least if I see some mistakes, I can guide you going forward mm -hmm. and present those op opportunities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to mention, um, you were referring to the... Uh, real estate professional designation yeah. earlier. So in addition to that, you know, for us W2 guys, um, my wife manages several Airbnbs 
And so she qualifies for the real estate uh, professional designation. Um, and so for W-2 folks that has, you know, a spouse that is, uh, that is involved and qualifies for that, it's a huge tax benefit uh, to be able to qualify that. Because even though I don't qualify for it as a W-2, all of the investments that I'm doing and she's doing, um, there's huge tax benefits to that. Yeah, so that's the perfect example of being able to, so the, so if a wife qualifies as a real estate professional and they're filing jointly, they both technically qualify as real estate professionals, which then effectively you could have positive cash flowing real estate that because of depreciation is generating tax losses that you can utilize those losses to offset other income being W-2, interest, dividends, whatever that may be, and that'll provide you that immediate tax benefit. Right now, there there is certain requirements, and there's certainly you, you have to hit 750 hours, then there's grouping requirements, and it has to be your largest um, um, opportunity of service. So if you had a part-time position, let's say you work 400 hours, but 750 was in real estate, you would generally qualify. If you have a husband and wife that are both full-time employees, now they need over 750, but assuming that the employee, they each work 2,080 hours annually, they would have to have 2,081 hours in the real estate right. and good luck justifying that you work 4,000 hours a year. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's just something to think of. Just I know some of the gurus and some of the financial gurus say you just check the box and you get this. There is still requirements you have to meet and log books and record keeping requirements. Uh, but it does really present those real-time opportunities. And I think... I see that with full-time investors mm -hmm. really getting into opportunities there. That that was one of the questions. Um, so I might as well just jump into that right now. Someone asked, what is it required to be considered a full-time investor? Um, so it, like you said, there's a certain number of hours in order to be considered yes. like the full-time investor. So, and that so number was? 750 hours in your real estate activities. and then Within a year? During that year, mm -hmm. yes. And then... At the property level, generally somebody's not going to, even if you own 15 properties, have 750 hours per property. There's a further election that I would bet not everybody is actually um, effectively electing where you can group the properties, and that's an election that, need, that generally needs to get included with the taxpayer's return, and then in the year that a new property is added, you have to further make that election to add property number five to the four property pool. Uh, so generally, I just include it with real estate professionals mm -hmm. because there could be something. But that allows you to aggregate all your hours in one activity uh, overall. So Okay. I gotcha. All right. Um <laughs> Well, Paul, um, one of the things that was asked of you is, um, so we noticed that you are uh, trying to raise private capital for yourself. So in one of the videos that you had made, um, that you were driving home, I think, from trying to network. Always driving. Yeah. <laughs> you were you were networking with some 
uh, private money lenders. Is that, yeah. is that what it was? And so, um, just, you know, if you want to, if you care to share, like, how's that going for you? Um, what strategy do you use? Um, what are the next steps you might take when someone tells you, sure, I'm interested. And then, you know, how do you recuperate, uh, from someone telling, you no? Well, that's another thing that, you know, again, most people that know me very well is um, uh, failure is, is something. I, the way I look at failure is it's one of the best teachers. And so um, failure should be almost welcomed um, because you learn so much from that. Um, mm-hmm. As long as you have the right mindset that you're, you've learned something from that. Um, and so I've already gotten several no's. Um, they weren't direct no's, but they were, you know, indifference in the conversation. Um, but what I've said is, is almost everybody that I've spoken to on my journey, they, they always knew somebody that was in real estate. And so I wrote down their names and I followed up with them. And so, you know, it's, it's fanning out those leads that I might end up running into somebody through my network of that I never knew, but maybe they'd be willing to... Uh, partner with me on a deal. So I would say it's going very well. Um, you know, most of the podcasts and everything that I listen to, you know, their first advice is, and they show this concentric circle, right? They start with your immediate friends and family, right? Uh-huh. And I think I've probably tapped them out sure. uh, as well as I can. Um, my mom did part me with, partner with me on one of my deals. Um, but then going next to that is, you know, make a list of all of the people that you know that have money. Um, whether they run their own business or their executives or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, is throughout my career, I've, I've uh, had the benefit of working very closely with executives in a lot of different uh, companies. And so literally I just opened up a spreadsheet and I went through my LinkedIn, you know, I'm connected to 500 some odd people and just started jotting down names where they live, you know, and I grouped them, you know, my first start was Indianapolis. My second stop was Detroit. Um, and then I, I sorted them, ranked them, uh, people that knew me really well, and I knew them. They, you know, I had a rapport with them, and they were the first ones to, for me to talk to. Um, and so I'm just working through that network. Mm-hmm. Um, the other strategy that I've been taking that has actually really paid off well, and I heard this on a podcast, the Bigger Pockets podcast, is um, thinking about branding. And I know you you post a number of things about branding. Is you know if you go to just anybody and you say. Frank, you know, um, what are the top two brands of toothpaste, right? What would you say? Uh, Crest and Colgate. Yeah. So (laughs) I I, I did the same exact, and he and I didn't train, so we didn't (laughs) figure that out up front. But I did the same thing to my wife, and she did the same, she said the same thing. And even on the Bigger Pockets podcast, Mm -hmm. they they did the same thing. They said Crest and Colgate. Colgate, That's what popped into my head. Exactly. And so isn't that amazing? And you think about, well, tissue paper. Kleenex, right? Most yeah. people even call them Kleenex. No, right? nobody says hand me a facial tissue, right. Or give me a cotton swab. It's Q-tip or right, exactly. Yeah. I, and I don't even think about that. Q-tip is uh-huh. is a brand, and some people may not even realize that. So, what the message that they they gave on uh, this podcast was: you want to be the Crest and or Colgate of private lending. Mm-hmm. Is hmm. you know when you're out on the road. And somebody runs into somebody that's, oh, man, you know, I just need a place to put my money that's going to give me a better return than one. You know what? Paul is always asking about 
private lending, right? Uh-huh. He's so you want to be that person that yeah, he's going to help you. He'll be able to help you. And what that really takes is is that you got to talk about it. Yeah. You got to be on the road, you you know. And so uh, my wife and I we go see a chiropractor um, in yep. Utica. And we talk about real estate, right? Just very casually. This is what we're doing. You know, she's killing an Airbnb. We've got rentals in Indianapolis. And one day he said, and this was not even imp- on purpose, right? I didn't even, mm-hmm. there's no pressure whatsoever. Dude, I'm really hot. This microphone is really hot. Okay. Uh, let's step back a little bit. Uh, but, um, you know, we just talk about it very, very casually. And um, he, he said, he pulled me aside after our session and he said, Hey, you know, you guys talk about real estate. Um, you're on this podcast. When, when, um, when it goes live, let me know. I'm, I'm interested in real estate. I said, really, you're interested in real estate. I said, well, why don't we have lunch? Just talk about what your goals are. What, what kinds of things are you interested Mm -hmm. in doing? And so I bought him lunch just the other day. It was last week. And I said, hey, look, you know, I, I want to be a helper. This is Jeff Ship talking. I want to be a helper, right? So if you want to help, if you want help buying houses, man, I, I got contacts. You know, I'm, I am specialize in the Indianapolis market. I've got contacts, you know, a really tall, you know, guy that uh, has a lot of uh, units. He could, you know. So I know people in the Detroit metro area, and I know uh, people in Indianapolis. So I can help you in those areas. And I said, but there's another way that I could help you, you know, depending on what level of involvement that you want. I said, you know, you could partner partner with me on deals. I'll do all the work. I'll manage the pro- property management. I'll manage the contractors. And we'll give you, you know, a great return on your money. And he's like, yeah, I like that a lot better. I'm a doctor. He's like, I, yeah. I don't have time for, for silliness, right? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I really don't either. But I, I tolerate it, right? Yeah. And so he's going to probably be... Um, one of my best leads yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's enthusiastic about it. He mentioned that because he runs his own business, his own practice, that he doesn't have a great a lot of investing opportunities. Um, you know, General Motors, they match my, you know, 401k uh, uh, contributions. He doesn't get any matching, right? right. Um, and so he's really looking for something to grow wealth uh, quickly. Um, and then, you know, I sent, I started sending him deals. This was advice from Dylan, just very casually send him deals. This is what I'm thinking. Let me know what you think. And, uh, he responded back, you know, I've got a buddy that, uh, is interested and I've got a number of different chiropractor friends that are in the same situation I am. And I'm confident that they're going to be Talk interested. Talk about well. niching it down. Yeah. Like your, your pool of money is well, yeah, chiropractic. But, well, yeah. I mean, you're, you know. It, but the, I think the, the goal is to try to, to break into a number of those, uh-huh. right? If you, and it's networking. It's all about networking and building rapport and being right authentic. And, uh, and so I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. And I told my wife, I said, this could break the whole thing wide open, yep. right? And you if, never he's, know. if he's looking for longer-term investment, he could even do a qualified plan into like a self-directed IRA yeah. and, I have, and then loan you the money. Yeah, actually, Frank, <laughs> I was just – and I told him, I said – because he's getting ready, um, he's I think he's buying his practice and the building that they're in. And I said, you really ought to talk to a, a real estate CPA about that because, and I wanted to talk to you on the side about this, is, you know, if he has a, a, an LLC, a separate business that is that owns the building and he rents that to a, a business that, you know, 
isn't there some tax benefits there, you know, the way that he structures the deal, right? In that case, there is, but then you run into the self-rental rules. So an owner-occupied business, uh, it's still a way to separate things. It's just Mm -hmm. not considered passive, uh, for instance, but there there are other advantages. But Mm -hmm. he wouldn't necessarily be able to have profit there to be absorbed by passive investments in single family. So my advice to him was, I, I know real estate attorneys here. You know, they're going to be able to draft the, the mortgage, draft the promissory note. You know, this is, you know, a very safe investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I said, you know, we could get you hooked up with a really great real estate CPA, part of our network. And, uh, you know, so um, that's my goal is to build up a number of these different avenues. Yeah. And, um, you know, so far, I think we're, we're well on our way. I'm very, very excited. And, uh, you know, it gives me... Uh, hope for for a an early retirement. Yeah, and that's just another testament, like to the network. This network is it is it is a network because you don't you have all of these resources in your back pocket. You know what I mean. You can say, you know, I personally know and do business with these people who can you know come in and draft the legalities and just make this mm-hmm. you know completely you know just completely solid and legit. And there's just no reservations in that. And so that's, that's really valuable as well. But yeah, I've got a chiropractor. I wonder what he's got going on because I'm looking for private money. Too. I hope it's not the same one. <laughs> or maybe. But um, abundance mentality, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I was telling my wife, we, uh, we're part of a Facebook group yep. and, um, this Facebook group, they, they have home equity lines of credit in a first lien position. They refinance their homes in the first lien position and they pay them down dramatically, mm-hmm. very, very quickly. Um, and I, I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to start networking in this group. All these people, they have huge balances of equity on their homes. Um, and they're looking to, you know, invest that in some way. That's how I got into real estate. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think it was last night I was on the phone with the lady and I said, again, no pressure. I want to, I'm here to help. Right. And, yeah. and, uh, find a way to, for her to meet her goals and for me to meet mine. I, th- yeah, I think that's really the attitude you got to take with any, anything that you're doing in real estate investing is it's like, it's cool if it works and it's cool if it's not. Yep. And you just don't put all of your, you know what I mean? All of your hope into one basket. Mm-hmm. And then you also just don't, you don't let, you know what I mean? Any sort of like, um, uh, anxiety or, or expectation that you have kind of like shine to the surface. Um, so just speaking of like, you know, expectation and anxiety leading into, to you Shelby. So I know that like, as, as a contractor, um, when you work with people, property owners, whether they're investors or just, you know, the general homeowner, they have, um, certain expectation from you. Um, so like, can you share with us, like when you get called, to look to look at a property, what are some things that you need from the property owner that would just make your life and your working relationship with them just so much smoother? Like, uh, you know, for example, like, do they do? Does a property owner need to really like prep anything before they come in, or do they need to give you any sort of notice of X, Y, and Z that might be going on in this uh, situation? So, I mean, I, I think that's a, uh, a great question. I think the biggest thing in, in, in that area is, like I was saying before, is communication. Um, so on a, on a day-to-day basis, typically when I go into a, a property, you know, investor or someone who wants, you know, some work done, um, a lot of the times what I'm doing is listening. 
and take uh-huh. notes down and what are your expectations? What's the timeline that I'm looking at? Uh, more so kind of trying to see their vision and where I could be an asset to their vision, to sure. their result. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so what that what that does for me is I'm, I'm not even really talking half the, half the time because they're they're so uh, you know, rapidly thinking, or they have these random thoughts of what if we do this and what if we do that. And so it's just a matter of me taking a pen and a notepad, having a tape measure and okay, here you go. This is what can, this is what can be said. This is what you can do. Um, and then, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking who, if I can't do it as a contractor, who can I reach out to, to do it? Okay. And that's where the relationship comes in with people that you build up in your community or whatever the case may be. But I think the, the main thing is just that you're, that you're just, uh, you're constantly communicating with that person. And then the other thing that I see coming into it is that as you start working, that you're letting the investor know day-to-day process of where you are mm-hmm. uh let's be honest investors put a lot of money into projects they they invest a lot of time into it. some of them are like that's this is all i got so i need to make sure that this is going and this is happening or whatever the case is and i've seen that over the the encounters that i've had with people the stress level that they have so my job as a contractor is let me come in and help you you know mm-hmm. how can i do that well listen um, suggest certain things that, well, that might not work out for you because this is this or whatever the case may be. Yeah. But it's, it's just boiling back down to the communication. So as long as you got that as a contractor for, for, you know, I, I can't speak for every contractor, but for me running the business, I have to make sure that I'm, I'm listening to them and, and, and commuting, communicating to them, um, very firmly mm-hmm. and, and with, with, uh, with the hopes to, you know, meet their expectation. So. Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, like, do you do you maybe you see like a pattern um, when you go into things? Is there any information that you just you just wish that like a homeowner, or property owner would give you beforehand um, or understand that it's important? Like, have you seen like over and over again? You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I because I have no idea. Like, do do they need to turn off the electricity or, or anything like that, you know, or just, you know, whatever. Is there, is there a common, is there a common thing where you're just like, you know what, if property owners just knew to do this, life would be easier for both parties. So, okay. That's, that's not a good question. So this is, this is what I've done over the years of, of doing work. Um, and I don't know if, if, if some of you are probably in the GM, there's an apprentice mindset that I have. So whenever you start a job, typically in the, in the different trades, you are a an apprentice for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the things as an apprentice, you have to think ahead of what your your mechanic is doing. So let's take for example as a carpenter, which is something that I do on the side as well. But me understanding the knowledge of what my you know master carpenter is doing. I have to be able to think what his next move is. Yeah. Does that make sense what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And so what I what I've learned is over the years is that if I have this mindset not just for my application but delivering that same understanding to the person who wants the results done, then it makes the process a lot less stressful. So yep. so in the in the, the the contractor's world, every trade should have a respect for each other. So if 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 I'm a demolition guy, I'm already thinking, okay, they got a plumber's gonna come in here, I have an electrician's gonna come in here, I have an HVAC guy's gonna come. What do they need? 
Okay. So what can I do to make sure that when they come in, everything is set and done, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, don't cut the wires, <laughs> Please don't cut the wires. Get in contact with the contractor or with the person doing that, making sure that, hey, look, we're going to come in and demo this this wall and there's going to be, you know, outlets and stuff. So is it cool with you or not? Making sure that communication is in yeah. play uh, with the with the investor. Um, really, just what's your vision there? I mean, if you want to if, if they want to help, if they want to, you know, uh, cut time down. Um, sure. Yeah. Cut the power off. Make sure the water is cut off because typically with the demolition crew that I come in with, we're working very fast mm -hmm. uh, because the, the investor has a timeline or the other contractors have timelines that I can't, you know, I can't um, express enough that that the time management aspect of it is very, very important. Uh, absolutely. And yeah. if you're not if you're not, you know, on that timeline, mm -hmm. somebody lost the money. And in this world, losing money is not a good thing. Right. So you got to make sure that communication is there, where you are time, you know, timely in a timely fashion. So that's that's typically how I think going into it from mm -hmm. a uh, not a not a master carpenter or whatever the case is, but just I'm an apprentice. So let me think two moves ahead. Yeah, like a bit of a chess game. And, exactly. Um, communication is just in this day and age kind of a bit of a lost art. Yeah. Anyway, and so it's it's as it's it's this weird thing. It's like people don't want to communicate, but then they become frustrated due to the lack of communication that they, you know, had played a role in as well. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's it's funny that you say that because as you say that, I, I I get locked back into like football because I played football all my life. But if if we all would come to an understanding that teamwork makes a dream work. Oh, I mean, I know so we cliche. hear that a thousand and one times, right? <laughs> but it actually Just makes kidding. sense. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, and it's like, I mean, growing up in the, the football life and even doing what I did before or whatever, mm -hmm. There was always the same thing that if we can just come together for a common good, then we can get bigger results. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so you saying that is just like, yeah, let's just talk about this. How can we work this out? Who's strong and who's weak and where, where we can help out at? So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so I just I know that working with contractors in the past, it can be a it can be a frustration or it can just be a beautiful relationship. You know what I mean? And so just getting your your perspective, since you are on the other side as the contractor, you know, what I mean, what is it that we can do? You know what I mean? Just to make your life easier. Keep smiling, bring work. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Frank, back to you. One of, one of the questions that we had um, from Mr. Tio Bogdan, who is gallivanting through the land of Germany. Um, he spends a lot of time, or so he says, I'm just kidding, Theo, um, in personal and professional development. So he wants to know if he goes to anything related to real estate investment, if he's attending conferences, going to seminars or masterminds, um, even if he spends money purchasing books or um, downloading audios that he's listening to, to, to feed his professional development. Um, is that tax deductible? And if so, what should he do to get those deductions? Oh. Um, so being, being that he's in, it's real estate related, I would mm -hmm. say generally it's going to be, uh, it's, it's the type of thing that I think, believe he has rental properties or yes. management mm -hmm. and uh, that that would be so that doesn't mean that 
somebody with no no rentals and nothing to do, <laughs> right. just professional right. development type books. So I wouldn't really call it necessarily uh, that or personal development. It's really that education of, I mean, no different than me going to tax updates, accounting updates, different updates that I go to. What title would you give it? Uh, it's really continuing education, continuing education. more along okay. that lines and all the associated travel with it. They're under travel. There is certain rules. You can't go two weeks down to Florida and go to a seminar for one day and yeah. say it's all travel. There is certain rules and requirements as you get into there. But if you go to a $5,000 seminar, it's going to be generally. So if you go to an out-of-state seminar for three nights and you spend three nights in a hotel. And, you write that uh, and it's a three-night seminar, mm -hmm. yes. Okay. Um, generally, it's going to fall under there. Okay. So. Oh, very cool. And um, then your travel days are going to qualify as work travel days. And mm -hmm. uh, again, that all falls back into keeping logs of where you're going. And as you're keeping your logs, keeping your receipts and doing your accounting, it'll all come together. It's the ones a year from now, how do I put it all together and mm -hmm. where do I go? So you've been listening to the Michigan Real Estate Investor Network podcast. Let's call it the network. To subscribe to the show, go to www.michiganreinetwork.com where you can have the show sent right to your inbox. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to be on a future show, there's a link on the site to submit your info. The network is 100% focused on the Michigan real estate investing community. Whether you're brand new or a grizzled vet, we want you to be a part and share the love.